The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. How do we turn down that volume of social conditioning to reduce or even eliminate that distortion, the static, the feedback that can interfere with our ability to accurately identify our sparkotype? So can social conditioning or past experiences uh, or internal pressures affect the way that we explore figuring out our sparkotype, the thing that drives and animates us when it comes to work? Or for that matter, can they affect any metric that we might look at as a way to help figure out what really drives us? Then how do we potentially turn down the volume on social conditioning or perceived expectations to really determine what our truest truths really are and express ourselves in a more aligned way? Well, today's listener, Sarah, asked these interesting questions after having retaken the Sparkotype assessment about a year or so after the first time and getting results she felt was actually much closer to who she really was. And a lot of things happened in that intervening year. She shares her experience of supporting multi-billion dollar retail businesses as the head of change management and helping people and businesses work through transformation She's been the right hand to many high-level execs and spearheaded big results and impact, but like so many of us, has done so at her own expense and with a lot of burnout. And after becoming a new mom in the depths of the pandemic, she resigned from her position. And now Sarah is at a crossroads with a solid foundation of skills and accomplishments. And this time she wants to create a chapter of work that is more aligned with her innate impulses. And she shares that she has achieved success in the past with hustle and no spark. And this time wants to find more ease and flow and bring back the spark. And to do this, she wants a deeper understanding of her sparkotype, especially since having recently retaken it, she received a result that shifted. It brings her to her main question. Can your past experiences, especially challenging or traumatic ones, distort your view of yourself and therefore in some way affect the way that you might uh, respond to the sparkotype assessment and make a shift in the results that you get? Can social conditioning, external feedback interfere with finding work and expression that is more aligned with us? And if so, how can we reduce its impact or even eliminate it altogether? And this, of course, as the developers of not only the body of work, but the assessment where we're always looking at it and re-examining and fine-tuning, these are questions we've been deep into as well. And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and explore some insights and answers here is multi-time founder and CEO of Jada Selner Media, the co-creator of the Simple Green Smoothies, social and business phenom, sought-after advisor to entrepreneurs, and best-selling author with a new book, She Builds, Jada Selner. So quick note, you'll also hear us mention this thing we call sparkotypes in conversation. Well, what is that? Turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. When you discover yours, everything, work, life, even parts of your personal life and relationships, they just make more sense. And until we know them, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. Just like today's listener did, you can discover your Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. And hey, if you'd like us to answer your question on an upcoming episode, you can also find a link to submit your question to the Spark Brain Trust in the show notes as well. 
Now, on to Sarah's story in question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hi, Jonathan and team. My name is Sarah. Uh, My bigger picture context, so I'm fiercely proud of the 15-year corporate career that I built. I, you know, was working for progressively bigger and more complex projects. I was working globally for uh, multiple major brands and businesses. Uh, And so what was working is that I was getting results, right? I can point to, you know, over my career, you know, tens of thousands of people managers experienced my trainings uh, when I was doing leadership development work. At a, at a tech company and I've Sherpa'd multi-billion dollar businesses throughout uh, retail, the head of change management and you know helping people and businesses work through transformations and I've been the right hand to many execs and so I, I can see uh, the results and the impact at the same time what isn't working is that I've done it at my own expense and I've done it at all costs and uh, with a lot of burnout and so after COVID hit and after becoming a new mom in the deep pandemic, I resigned and now I'm at a crossroads where I built this uh, foundation for myself in terms of my skills, in terms of my accomplishments, a a level of knowledge or subject matter expertise that I have. Uh, And at the same time, I'm super eager to uh, align it with my actual sparkotype. And so in the past, for past chapters of my career, I've had the hustle sans spark. Uh, and for this next chapter, I'm really eager to have flow with spark, right? And to truly be aligned. And so that brings me to my question because I, so I have some difficulty getting an accurate read of my Sparkotype profile. I took the assessment over a year ago when the Sparks book first came out and the results came back that my primary is Maven with a shadow as Sage. Um, I took it again very recently, a year plus later, uh, and my results came back. And I think this is actually a, a bit more accurate for me. My primary uh, as Sage and my shadow as Scientist with an anti type of Advocate. Uh, and so my question for you is around social conditioning and truly understanding and identifying our sparkotypes. Because what I suspect is that given the level of trauma that I went through in my childhood um, and multiple adverse childhood experiences and growing up in a a very controlling family and social context is that that is very much distorting, you know, my ability to really connect in with my authentic impulses. And so my question is around how do we turn down that volume of social conditioning to reduce or even eliminate that distortion, the static, the feedback uh, that can interfere with our ability to accurately identify our spark And I'd imagine there's a greater impact for people like me who have been through trauma and situations that have significantly shaped uh, their behaviors, you know, for survivor and and adaptive mechanisms. At the same time, you know, we all face some level of social conditioning, right? We can all remember the parents or caregivers that actively discouraged us from acting on certain impulses while celebrating others. Uh, You know, we all have that shaping. And so any expertise you can share on practices, uh, you know, how do we turn down the volume of that social conditioning, turn up the volume of our authentic impulses, you know, you know, would be super helpful because I'm really interested in uh, learning my sparkotype uh, and making sure that I build this next chapter of my career in alignment. Thanks so much and take care. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days. 
all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Jada Selner, this is such a fascinating question. And there are so many other things that are sort of like that weren't that primary question that are so interesting yeah. also that I know are directly in your wheelhouse. Also, that whole idea of like having built a really successful 15-year career, but that was really misaligned with sort of like the essence of, of who you are, but, but still being really successful at it and then feeling the burnout. And then she mentioned something you speak directly to this notion of hustle and hustle culture and how it affects us. So maybe let's sort of like split this into a couple of different yeah. conversations. One, you know, sort of like the core conversation around like, how do we figure out what is like our true essential nature? And we can talk about it in the context of the sparkotypes, sure. But I think we can also just talk about it more broadly in the context of how do we figure out what lights us up? How do we figure out what wakes us up in the morning? How do we figure out what gives us that feeling? And Sarah brings up some really interesting and I think important questions around you know, that range from how does social conditioning factor into it? How does expectations, how does perfectionism, how does past life trauma factor into your ability to get clear underneath all of that? Who actually am I? And I know this is also something that you spend so much time diving into personally, like in yeah. your own life and also like working with and advising so many other people. So tell me what's floating around in your head with the, with these questions and ideas. Yeah. Well, I think what's really beautiful is Sarah acknowledging that she's really proud of the body of work that she's built and something that was in there that she's asking for practices, but she's actually already implementing some really great ones, which was she was able to identify what's working here's what's working. And then she was also able to name, here are the things that are not working. So that is already tuning into your own voice, your own self-awareness, introspection, reflection. Uh, the biggest thing is what do we do with that information when we have those answers? And it's to be able to double down on the things that are working and to be able to stop, decrease, eliminate the things that are not. And so, and, and she mentioned projects a lot, which mm. I, I thought was really cool. And, yeah, and you know, with a scientist also, right? and, and all of those pieces. So there's the experimentation that is part of us really kind connecting to our true nature and, and what sparks and, and lights us up. So that constant 
reevaluating. And I think we're all in this season that is, has, has accelerated us needing to reexamine what is lighting us up, what is sparking us. Also, Sarah mentions that uh, her life has changed, right? She's transitioned for that from that corporate company. She's a mom. Like all of those things invite that that we need to reevaluate what really matters. And she's saying, hey, I love my work. I want to do work that lights me up, but I don't want to do it the hustle way. I don't want to compromise myself, my well-being, my relationships in the process. And just being able to name that out loud and say that now you have an intention of I want to build something meaningful and I want to also have time to make meaning in my personal life with the people that I love. And so as she says yes and no to opportunities and invitations, that lens has to be there that being a mom matters to me and also building my body of work matters too. And they need to be congruent and aligned with each other. Yeah. I mean, so resonant, I think on so many levels. And I think for so many people, especially over, you know, since this last two or three years, I think even a lot of folks who kind of felt like, you know, I'm kind of like going along on cruise control. I got everything like relatively figured out. Everything got turned upside down. You know, and some sometimes in a really bad, scary way. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, like she became a mom. Like how wonderful and amazing and beautiful is that? And at the same time, we, of course, becoming a new parent is there are a lot of challenges that go along with that. A lot of reexamination and a lot of exhaustion that tends to go with mm-hmm. that as well. And I feel like we are in this moment, and Sarah sort of like framed it so beautifully, where so many things are coinciding to create the perfect storm of both disruption, but also introspection curiosity and potentially revelation and then like figuring out okay so what is being revealed and what is that leading me to and and as as you pointed out part of her question was about like how do i how do i really understand what is what are those deeper drivers for me but you also you know like pointed out the fact that she's already figured out a whole bunch of really clear answers around the larger context of how she wants to bring herself to whatever she does. So I'm glad that you that you pulled that out, that you tease it out and acknowledge and celebrate that because that alone is huge. Mm-hmm. I think so many of us don't give the the attention or the um the value to how important, like really understanding the broader context and culture of the way that you want to step into anything that you say yes to in the future is and how it how it potentially affects you, both positive and negative. Yeah. And I want to speak to that piece around the social conditioning of kind of the wider context of, oh, this is how I want to build something. But the world is saying that I need to build it this way in order to be successful. Also, what happens in that social conditioning is that we start to compare ourselves to our past selves. And I think that this could be the case with Sarah of I had this much stamina before I was a mother or I was able to build and create and serve. And and she talked about results and impact and just being able to see all of that. And when our priorities shift and change, when the seasons of our lives change, then our pace also changes. Our capacity, our time, our energy, our resources are being reallocated. And so we have to be super compassionate with ourselves when that happens because now she's got double duty, right? In motherhood and in her career. And so 
really the social conditioning can be coming from the outside, but it can also be coming from within that she could be comparing her past self to her current self of what she's able to actually commit to and take on. I know uh, Charlie Gilkey, our great friend and brain tr- part of the Brain Trust, talks a lot about this of the, the capacity for the projects that we can take on. And so for me, something that I like to subscribe to is giving ourselves permission to be a slow cooker mm. and not a pressure cooker. So that is a shift from the hustle way um, that sacrifices your your well-being, your life into a more anti-hustle way of being so that you can build something, have that exhilaration, but also do it in a more sustainable way. So I like to think of, I don't know how many of you have um, pressure cookers, but we have one at home. It's very complicated. There are all of these buttons and there's the burn notice. There's just so many options. And then there's the steam that needs to be released and it's really intense like we have to put a wet a cloth on top of it to kind of like tame it down and you get something really quick and you have a nourishing meal you know in like one hour or less and then with a slow cooker you have two options it's like four hours eight hours which one and then you walk away and let things simmer and it takes much more time to get the same result of a nourishing meal but neither is is wrong or right. It's just an option. And so if you're wanting to get off that hustle train to start to embrace the slow cooker way of being and knowing that you are not moving as fast as you used to, you're still going to get the same results, but you're not going to see them as quickly as maybe you have in the past. And that's okay to just extend the timeline of your ambition and your dreams coming to fruition. Yeah, um, I love that. And it's a great invitation for anybody to just breathe a little bit. Um, so many of the answers that are really valuable to us, whether it's the, the question that we're like talking about right now or like almost anything that is a deeply meaningful point of curiosity for us, there are two ways that we can actually come to like new insights or new realizations or two ideas, like two broad ways. One is analytically and the other is based, is through insight. Like the analytic way is sort of like where you can literally say, here's the formula, here's a set of data, here's the process I used to get to the answer. And that's the thing where people are used to be being able to sort of like say, okay, so heads down, let me push through the scientific method, through the process, analyze all the data, gather more data, do more stuff. And I'm going to get to that answer. And there, and we tend to have some level of control over how slowly or quickly we can push through a fairly well-defined analytical process to get to the answer that we want. Um, and sometimes those are really powerful and necessary answers. And sometimes there is legitimate urgency that says, you know, like, do the thing. Mm. The other way that we get to the answer is through insight. And insight is different in that these are the moments where somebody's sort of like an idea, a solution, like the answer to a big complex question literally drops into your orbit. And you, you, you know, you're walking down the street one day and you're like, I, literally this thing that I've been trying to figure out for years, the answer just came to me. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't trying. Insight-based um, solutions are generally things where you cannot track the process through which they came in any kind of linear, analytical, or replicable way. And the interesting thing is the data that I've seen shows that insight-based solutions tend to be the more powerful paradigm-shifting, you know, like course-changing solutions. Um, And those tend to happen exactly to your point. When we work really hard 
and then create space yeah. and just step back when we sort of like pulse and pause and like we go and I mean like we work hard and then we just create intentional space for the answers to just come. And that almost always takes time and space and peace of mind. So we need to build that into the process. So I'm not actually suggesting that Sarah or anybody listening to this, like just choose one or the other, but these are these different modes of problem solving um, and know that we can lean on both of them. And often they both have value and they add to the process, but building space for answers to simply come in a way that you might not understand what your brain has been working on in a less than conscious way in the background, creating the space for all of that and to also sometimes slow down because it requires space. It requires a, a gentler pace for that often to emerge. And I want to make sure that we do address Sarah's question around sort of like the, the more central point too, which is, okay, so how do I get a beat on what that deepest impulse is for me when I wake up in the morning to work and know that what I do is going to be meaningful and purposeful and joyful and energizing and exciting. And it's not just a reflection of some sort of social conditioning or past experience, potentially including trauma. And, you know, this is a question that's come to me in various different ways over the years in the context of the sparkotypes. And so a couple of things that I would share around this. One, when we developed the the assessment itself and the language around the assessment, you know, we took a lot of care to try and develop language that was what we call longitudinal, meaning it is it's looking back over like a really long perspective in time. And we're trying to identify states that tend to exist on almost a more primal level um, rather than a learned level. Mm. Um, so we try and address that to a certain extent in the fundamental way that we put together the questions in the assessment. That said, Every assessment, every typing methodology, we are all limited by two really big constraints, whether it's us, Myers Briggs, DISC, yeah. you know, like uh, StrengthsFinder, all the sort of like the major indexes. We're always constrained by two, these two big things. One is the depth and quality of experience that somebody um, brings to the moment they take the assessment. And the second is the level of self-awareness yeah. that somebody brings to the prompts and to the questions at the moment that they take the assessment. Those things can and do change over time, especially in a moment like we've been in, where a lot of people have literally been shaken deeply to re-examine a lot of past experiences, a lot of like what made them, what made me, me, a lot of, you know, like, is this the real me or is mm -hmm. this the me that I've been like living up to through others' expectations? And what I found, I'm curious whether you've seen this in people that you've worked with too, is that a huge amount of external expectation based living yeah. and identity formation has been shaken loose for the last few years. People are, have gotten to the point where they're like, you know, like life is, it, life is, it's tender, yeah. it's fragile, it's sometimes short. And I realize that I have been living into others' expectations mm -hmm. and others' conditioning um, and potentially into like trying to keep myself safe yes. based on past experiences. And I'm just not okay doing that anymore. And there, there's a, a level of, of um, deeper discovery and questioning and self-awareness of a deeper set of like true identifiers and impulses and drivers that I've, I've seen emerging. And, and I would invite people to really embrace that process, honor it, 
you know, there's, there's a level of truth that I think a lot of folks have been mining sometimes intentionally. Sometimes it's just been like, they've been dropped into that place Yeah, that's revealing things. And, you know, I think it's a really, it's a powerful and important moment. And, and I would invite like Sarah and anyone else who's sort of like moving through that just to say, say yes to it. Like if you need help moving through that, please get help moving through it. Yeah, Not everyone is equipped with the skills or resourced in a way where you can do it yourself, but it's an important and a powerful process. So I think part of what's gone on over the last few years is there's been an organic disruption that has mm-hmm. led to a level of self-inquiry and self-discovery and revelation. And uh, and like Sarah's been listening to that, it sounds yeah. like. And I, I like that you mentioned the safety piece because a part of our trauma response is to build that sense of safety and trust. And so you're in that survival instinct. And when you can actually start to ask the deeper, more insightful questions, that means that you've been able to build trust and safety within your own self, your own world to to get curious about what those answers might be. And I think what you said is creating the space to listen. And usually what that looks like, it's actually very hard when our lives are very full and busy and there's a lot of commitments, but even just having an unstructured day, like on a Saturday or a Sunday where you don't put any commitments on your calendar where you have to show up and be somewhere. Ideally, it'd be great if you could have a sabbatical or go on a retreat or different things like that. But sometimes it might just be a day in your week. And I know that that is when my my inner voice gets a lot louder when there's not structure of places where I have to show up or be on or respond or react to. So, and I know that could also be hard if you are a caregiver, but if you can, you know, do a childcare swap or do something where you can just have your home to yourself or, or somewhere to just listen and, and things without you having a plan or a to-do list, having a journal and a pen next to you just to see what just comes out of you that my best doodles, ideas, revenue, anything that I'm like sitting questioning on. If I give myself unstructured, unscheduled day, a lot comes up in in those moments and seasons to get curious. Um, I'm also curious if you have a practice to create that space to listen to your authentic voice and truth that's not coming from outward expectations. Yeah. I, I love that you just mentioned journaling because I've been somebody who my whole life I'm, I've been like, I know so many people who journal and it's so helpful to them. And I've never been a journaler until um, I took a creative sabbatical a couple of months back and, and I journaled for through most of it. I journaled 10,000 words, mm. which was purely reflecting on my experience of being sort of like stepping away and having more space and being less structured and, and all the stuff that was coming up <laughs> through it. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, Oh, this journaling thing, there's something to it. Actually, it was really helping me process. And while I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be very likely a sustained daily journaler, you know, like I've sort of like fallen into like a, couple times a week type of mode. And I find that mm. super valuable. And then two other practices, like to me, there are three things that I think are, two of them have been like years long touchstones for me in journaling. I think it's going to be a third, a third addition to it. One is a, a daily mindfulness practice. It, it is for me, the most powerful practice that I have found to allow me to start to see myself, the world around me, mm. the um, way that I relate both to myself and to others 
more clearly. Mindfulness practice doesn't fix anything or solve anything. Mm -hmm. What it allows you to do is see more clearly, to get closer to reality, to get closer to the capital T truth, your capital T truth. Um, then you have to like, you know, like figure out what to do with that. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's, it is a, a revealing and clarifying practice. It's sort of like, it's a practice where it's, you know, that it, it clears the muddy water. Um, then you, then you see what's there. Yeah. Um, that is incredibly powerful. And also for me, nature, regular immersion in nature. There's something that happens to me when I'm just, out in nature, whether it's walking down the block with a whole bunch of trees, you know, like I'm incredibly privileged right now to be living in a place where, you know, I'm in the front range of the Rocky Mountains. I can be walking in, in completely immersed in nature in a matter of minutes. Um, but even when I was living in New York City for 30 years, you know, in, I would walk three blocks and be in Central Park or I'd walk two blocks the other way and be walking along the Hudson River because I knew what it did to and for me. Mm. Um, so those three things, a mindfulness practice, regular immersion in nature, even if it's city-based nature yeah. or just like being around it. And, um, the much newer experience around journaling, um, there, I found that to be super powerful for me. What, I mean, beyond journaling for you, what, what have been practices that you found really useful? Yeah, I, for me, I'm, you know, I've said this before, but I'm a verbal processor. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, having a community of people that really get my heart, understand my values and what I care about, what matters is very important important for me to have what I call my support squad. And so it's like, I have my life coach and my therapist that I can verbally process with and complain and vent and all the things, and then also get back into a more empowered place of, of thinking, but just being able to share out loud what it is I'm struggling with, what I'm sitting with, what's a question. And, and I have really great friends who don't give me answers, even though I'm like, can I please have the answer key, please, please. <laughs> so really being able to um, share the those pieces and have it reflected back to me what they are hearing has been a very helpful practice for me. Um, I've been playing with walking meditations, mm. um, which has been really cool. Um, I think it's called Street Wonder, um, basically where you're walking and sitting with a question. I know we've done this on a, one of your retreats yeah. um, many years ago, where you just sit with a question and walk with it and let the signs and the things that you see, whether you're in a an urban city or in nature, what comes as you sit with that question. That's been very helpful for me to just listen to my feet on the gravel or the grass and that just awakening my senses has, has been really a new practice that's been really fun for me to to walk and to listen and that's it like just to sit with a question and, and listen so I would say the verbal processing with friends a coach a therapist as a verbal processor has been very helpful for me walking meditations sitting with a question or standing and walking <laughs> with a question to listen to those answers and then yeah the just the unscheduled, unstructured day in a week is very helpful for me to then just have a pen and journal nearby to see what starts to to come out and what I start to to doodle. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I do want to circle back to um, uh, Sarah's experience also in having. So part of what she shared was like she took the Spark Type assessment originally. Um, and then about a year or so later, after like all of these major, major shifts and changes in her life, she took it again. So 
What's interesting to note is that something inside of her said, I have been through Mm. some major things, some major disruptions, major amazing graces and blessings. Um, But I sense that something in me um, has changed or shifted or my level of experience, the depth and quality of my experiences and my level of self-awareness and self-inquiry may have shifted on a level where I feel compelled to go back and explore this assessment again and see if maybe um, it's going to tell me something that feels closer to to what feels real and true to me. That alone, I think, was a really powerful impulse that she followed. And what's fascinating to me is that what came out of that is that she then did the assessment again, um, sort of like coming to it from this drawing upon a different level of of self-awareness and experiences. And she came up with the scientist. And the very fact that she went back to do this, she had a new question that she then has been like going deep into trying to deconstruct how do we tease out the difference between conditioning, between sort of like innate expression, stuff like this, that she then like came to us and wanted to ask this question, which is like, these are all powerful scientists behaviors. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, like the scientist is all about deep into burning questions, complex problem solving, figuring the thing out. Like, I think just literally like her, what she's doing in the process <laughs> of coming to us and like pursuing and exploring and going back and saying like, let me figure this out more is probably pretty strong reinforcement that like this it sounds like this is pretty close to like the essential nature of who yeah, she is. Yeah, and she also said this one resonates with me more. Like she felt that in her knowing yeah. that this feels more aligned with what what lights me up. Yeah, and we, and we always tell folks who who ask us, you know, like how do I know this is true and real? And it's sort of like listen to like how are you responding to it? Yeah, you know if if you take the assessment and you're like okay whatever. It could still be very real, but like we, like, I'm always, if you have any question, I'm always somebody who, um, I tend to get very visceral, intuitive, um, mm-hmm. hits about, about things. And I think most people do, we just tune them out. Yeah. And I, to me, like when you, like somebody says it feel, this feels right. That to me is a huge sign. Like the other thing is like any other of the major assessments, it's impossible to create one single tool that is a hundred percent right for a hundred percent of the people, a hundred percent of the time. It just doesn't exist. So we have done some some research in the past. We're going to do an update of this soon that showed about 92, 93% of folks who take the assessment share with us that it is anywhere from very to extremely accurate, which is mm. fantastic. Yeah. You know, and then if you fall in that seven or eight percent of people where you're kind of like wondering, then like do what Sarah's doing. Keep questioning. Like it, like borrow the book from your library and go through chapter by chapter the descriptions of each type and mm, see on a deeper level yeah. what really resonates with me. Like, does this feel like it's really speaking? Am I getting a physical or emotional or intuitive reaction to this? You know, explore deeper. If you're a verbal processor, like you were saying, like talk to other, like take the assessment, um, have have somebody who really knows you or like somebody else do it also. Both borrow the book or take the book out from the library and read it like together and then talk it through. Yeah. Um, and I think these can be really good processes for figuring these things out and, and always acknowledging that, you know, if you, if you take the assessment once and then a year or two later, you take it again and you get a slightly different result. It's not necessarily that this impulse has changed. Mm-hmm. It's much more likely in my mind and my experience that you have simply your, your depth and quality of experience, your level of self-inquiry, self-discovery, and self-awareness has shifted in a meaningful way in the interim. And very often it's in a way that allows you to get closer to what the real answer is for you. Yeah. And giving yourself permission to lean into that natural 
impulse because I think a part of that social conditioning is like, oh, I'm not allowed. I, I shouldn't. That's not. And when you remove some of those social structures and really just tuning into your own truth, then that's where the answer comes. Yeah, I love it. So Gretchen Rubin is an old friend of mine. She has this other fantastic assessment called the uh, the Four Tendencies, which is about how we meet our expectations. And I remember taking it once, and I came up as the questioner, and um, and then I, I took it again. I came up as the questioner, and then I, and then I I texted Gretchen, and I said. You know, I took this twice and I don't know. I'm just not sure if I'm a questioner. She literally responded. She's like, dude, reread your text. Yes. Yes. You're <laughs> like, questioning right. the questioner. <laughs> right. So it's sort of like that, which is why I like reflecting back with Sarah in particular, like literally like this whole thing that she's exploring right now is sort of like, it, it's almost like checking every box of yes. like how a scientist shows up. So super fun, super powerful. Jada, as always, uh, so grateful for your, your wisdom, your heart, your input. And Sarah, I hope this conversation was useful for you and anyone else who's also just trying to, to figure out, you know, like, like, how do I understand me on a deeper level so that I can feel more confident or sort of like resourcing that and taking action behind it and, and building around that? Any final thoughts before we sign off for today? I just have this beautiful vision of people gathering around with spark type, like the spark mm. book and just having these conversations by a cozy fireplace and, and reading yours out loud and hearing other people's. That's just kind of the vision that landed with me. And I just thought that was a beautiful one that I wanted to share. So Sarah, invite some friends and everyone share their spark type. I love that. And and it's so funny you said that. Um, in some of the beta early work that we were doing, we had somebody who was in our community who was leading women's retreats, who was sort of like doing some grounded theory based or like applied testing with these ideas. And she was she was bringing women on retreat and actually doing exercises very similar to that with sharing. And she shared such powerful, oh. powerful um, experiences with us when she was doing this. So yeah, the, the idea of Sharing in just intimate circles um, is something that I think can be super, both both really fun and rewarding and powerful too. As always, everybody, Jada, thanks so much. Everybody, thanks for listening. And we will see you back here next week. Take care. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.